Welcome to Waiting for Review, a show that follows the journeys of two independent iOS developers. I'm Dave Wood, an iOS developer from Leicester, England. And I'm Dave Knott, an iOS developer from Devon, England. Join us as we discuss the development, code and technology of our independent journeys. Okay, so we missed out a topic last week that we wanted to talk about, um, so we're bringing it to the front of the show this week. It's about storyboarding versus a programmatic approach. Um, so Dave, you're probably best suited to talk about this because I know you've had a bit more experience of this lately. Um, where, yeah. where are you on this issue right now? <laughs> I'm, I'm on the fence um, because I've, I've had kind of a bit of experience on, on, on both sides. Um, so to frame this, I mean, how, how do you develop your your applications, Dave. You, do you use storyboards? I do. I use storyboarding for all of it. Um, but I don't really like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably begs the question, why am I not doing it programmatically? Um, yeah. And the short answer is, I would like to move that way. Okay. Um, I find storyboarding to be kind of my least favourite part of Xcode. It can be slow, um, it can make my 5k iMac which has got a 4 gigahertz quad core in it almost seem slow at times um and it, you know i've noticed it buggy in places um i set a font size the other day and xcode just crashed on me yeah um, just by using the up and down arrows where you make the font smaller bigger for a label um you know one one click in the wrong direction can cause problems that you then have to figure out it can feel know. like a stack of cards sometimes can't it that's a very good way of ex- expressing it, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah. or a quick way to slow a machine down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm the same as you with my my own apps. Um, so my, my indie apps, um, I've used storyboards throughout um, with obviously some light programmatic instantiation of views. Um, there are one or two things that have just been easier to do through code. Um, especially now that I've got a I've got a framework that is sort of shared between um, GoVJ and it's shared with that and and Holovid, um, and there's um, I've got a particular view within there that sort of does all the the um, OpenGL display, um, and I didn't want that in in a storyboard that's kind of associated to the app. So that's all done programmatically. So you just drop that view controller in as an endpoint in a storyboard and then everything it does inside of itself, adding in the it adds in a GLK view actually from GLKit um, mm-hmm. and does a load of other setup um, in terms of, of using a display link to refresh itself and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and essentially you just add that view controller in as, 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 a, um, as a contained view in a storyboard and then all the other stuff inside kicks in programmatically after the fact. So I've got a few situations in my own apps where things are slightly one foot in, one foot out. I think there comes a point, depending on what the app does, where you can't really do it all in Interface Builder anyway. It's only really, I think it's only really there to establish the the layout for sort of different size classes and the general flow of the app. And I think if you're trying to control sort of too much more than that from the storyboards, then you're potentially making life more difficult for yourself than it really has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, see me avoiding 
you're sitting on that fence there slightly. Um, <laughs> I think it's just a fact of it with with, um, with storyboards. This is only so far they can actually go. Um, and so on the other side of things, um, I very recently had an experience where I had to build a project um, that didn't allow storyboards at all. So no storyboards, no zips, everything sort of done um, pragmatically. Views, views, adding in their subviews, all of that, all of that in code. Okay. Uh, so not even a um, a main storyboard where sort of things get started from and then it's into code. No, the app delegate and all of that side of stuff had to sort of do everything itself, um, instantiating the view controller, adding it in. Um, and then in terms of layout, that was all controlled through code. Um, and this was, this was actually slightly new for me um, in that I've done bits of this before. When I first started learning um, and sort of teaching myself iOS development, um, some of the tutorials I followed, um, I think the Big Nerd Ranch book itself at the time, the version I had sort of back in 2012, um, that had some programmatic stuff in there still as well. I um, mean, it did a lot to sort of explain the kind of, you know, the paradigm and, and, and everything to do with views, view controllers, and how they all link up. Um, so this, this particular project with no storyboards allowed sort of felt a little bit like going back in time for me, and it was interesting to do. You know, so it, given the fact that I've been sort of heavily in storyboards now for the last sort of two or three years in terms of when I've come down to doing app development, um, it was interesting to kind of drive stick a little bit that way. <laughs> um, and um, I actually really enjoyed it. it it's I, I can see that um, I can see some of the pros, certainly in terms of if you're working within a team. And it's a shared code base and you've got, you know, one person is in charge of one side of the app, somebody else is in charge of another. And if, if the design side of it, if, if the, the UI and layout side of it is sort of shared between people, I could totally see how doing things programmatically would be better than doing them through storyboards. Um, and that's obviously not something I've really experienced yet in terms of um, my own experience sort of coming from Indie very recently going into sort of the, the, the contracting world. Um, it's just that, that sort of team working side of it. Um, I've not sort of had to encounter the problems that you can get there because with storyboards, I know that when multiple people start submitting them back to Git, um, you can end up with sort of quite, quite bad problems in terms of the versioning of storyboards and, and additions to them. Uh, they don't lend yeah, themselves very, very point, well. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I think the programmatic side of it has got to have a lot of benefits in terms of um, sort of source control and in terms of managing code between people on teams, um, <clears throat> just simply because you can see the changes a lot easier. Um, so I quite liked it as a project. It, it was interesting to sort of see how, how quick you can kind of get just editing and tweaking constraints and things like that programmatically. Yeah. Uh, you know, you lose that stack of cards for sure. I, I think I probably find it easier if I was trying to debug a, like a UI issue. 
I find it easier to read code than I would to read the UI of the, the storyboards. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I still, I still find myself sometimes getting a bit confused or lost in there. Um, even having done it for quite some time. Yeah. Um, and I, I would definitely preference just having code that I can read. Um, that's, that's just my take on it. I, I haven't, obviously haven't done a lot with it, so I can't talk to the depth that, that you just have. Um, I suppose the closest I've ever gotten to it was maybe when I was coding in Sprite Kit. Yeah. Um, there was a time, maybe about a couple of years ago, where I was experimenting with some sort of simple 2D physics games. Um, so I, I suppose you could say that the UI and all of that was coded programmatically. Um, <laughs> also way back when, when I was using Cocos 2D, I mean, that seems like a long time ago now, um, mm. but yeah, that's the closest I've ever really come to it. Um, I do look back on it fondly. So it's something that I, I definitely want to, to take forward. And I'm having some crazy, crazy thoughts at the moment with armchair of what I can do in terms of its UI, yeah. um, possibly color variations, light themes, dark themes. Um, so I think the time is probably right for me to get into doing a lot more programmatically, um, especially given given what I've got in mind right now. Yeah, um, and it, and it'll be a good technical exercise if if, if nothing else. It's um, it's funny because I'm actually thinking about sort of following um, a kind of hybrid approach um, within GoVJ for its next update. Okay, um, which. You know, you could argue I've kind of been doing already um, to some degree, as I sort of said at the, the start of this. Um, you know, it is storyboards and stuff going on programmatically anyway. Um, but in terms of sort of theming, like like you were saying there, um, I would like to be able to, to have more than one sort of colour scheme going on within the app. Um, and so in terms of doing that, um, I'm thinking along the lines of having... Um, sort of central subclasses um, that have got they register for notifications for the theme update itself um, and then they respond accordingly when that notification gets set um, but I'll still probably lay out a lot of the app in storyboards with those view controllers and subclasses um, so there'll be an element of um, the storyboard is still being used for the general layout and constraint but Colors, fonts, and everything else will be being set programmatically. Yeah, take that, take that out of uh, the storyboarding. Yeah, I mean, I think storyboarding is really important, though. Um, I, I don't want it to make it sound like I'm kind of turning away from it, never to never to return. I think it, it, it's important for people that are entering the iOS scene as well. Yeah, um, I know it certainly helped me visualize kind of a route through through an app. Yeah, um, and kind of, you know, when when I I came from web development, so it kind of made it seem a, a lot. It made it register in my head a lot easier because um, I could kind of see the flow from. If you think of it like pages in a website, and screens yeah. on an app, um, and how you move around that that kind of got the ball rolling for me. I think without it, I probably would have struggled. So, yeah, you know, I think they've definitely got their place, even. You know, once you once you get into iOS development in a in a more serious way, but I think they're especially important when you when you first get started. No, I'd agree. Um, 
And it's interesting, actually, having this experience, this, this sort of, you know, recently in terms of this, this particular project that I mentioned, um, it was interesting to sort of find out what I missed as well, so with regards to storyboards. Um, yeah, coming back to other projects afterwards. Um, and I think one of the biggest things for me was actually being able... I didn't realise I did it, um, but I, I, I switched between the different size classes in the storyboard view. So quite often. Okay. Switch it up and down from sort of um, uh, a, a plus size to the sort of six, seven size and then flip it all the way down to the, the 4S size, actually. Um, just to sort of see, you know, does this layout genuinely work on all the sort of different size classes it's likely to run on? Um, and I hadn't realised how often I did that, and that was something I did miss when I was sort of in the code. So taking the hybrid approach that you're suggesting, you could still work in that way for the kind of structure of the, yeah. of the app? Um, and then when it comes to fonts, colors, things that might change based on theming and user preferences, take that, the program out. Yeah, that makes, when you put it like that, yeah, your hybrid approach makes makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, I think actually as well as that, there is something to be said for the, um, the sort of speed of being able to see a design in the storyboard as well. Um, because not everybody can kind of, you know, look at a load of constraints and go, oh, of course, it now looks like this. Yeah. Um, and given that my indie projects are things that I dip in, dip in and out of, um, it's potentially going to be good for me to have that that sort of storyboard layout anyway. Because if it's you know potentially a couple of months since I last went in a particular side of the app, um, I'm going to want the sort of quickest introduction to how on earth it's laid out possible. True. And also looking at it from uh, a point of view that. Apple have clearly put some resource into developing the storyboarding section of Xcode to get it to where it is. Yeah. So that probably means it's of importance to them, which means it should probably still be of importance to us. So I, th- I think, yeah, you know, maintaining a hybrid approach is probably very sensible because I think you, you're going to see maybe more developments, more innovation in that space with you know ne- future releases of Xcode. Absolutely. So to, turn, to, to turn you back on it now and be like, nope, that's it, programmatic all the way. I think could be possibly a little bit foolish it could be potentially limiting for sure um and i think you know even if even if all we see out of the sort of next xcode updates um sort of coming after after wwdc and everything the next wave of betas and all of that if all we see is you know stability in storyboards um and that sort of you know stack of cards becomes a lot more stable um, then I think that would be that would be about the only improvement I would want to make out of the box right now. Yeah, speed would be one. I I would say yeah. I I accidentally clicked on my storyboard as opposed to one of my classes the other day, um, and as soon as I clicked, I was like, oh no, now it's going to take like a couple of seconds to load, and I have to wait for it, and then I have to click back to what the thing I wanted to go to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just being a little bit snappier would be would be great. Um, so yeah. In terms of the the debate, as it may well be between the sort of two approaches, um, I think I really am. I'm, I'm kind of on on the fence, somewhere in the middle with it all. Um, I don't like controlling um, things that are likely to change from the storyboard, font sizes, colours, that sort of thing. 
Um, but on the other hand, you know, being able to sort of see the general layout, check different size classes sort of relatively easily, um, that sort of thing, um, they're, they're, they're brilliant. Um, so hybrid all the way, I think, for my own projects. Yeah, t- taking a broad view, I think, is uh, is sensible. Yeah. Rather than one extreme or the other. Absolutely. You know what they say, only a, only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's nearly May the 4th. Come on, I can do Star Wars references. Yeah, I think you're allowed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, we, um, we've been talking a bit about this um, offline ahead of this call, but um, we were talking about... The uh, so how we present ourselves um, professionally, online, personally online, um, sort of outwards to the world with our business and our apps um, and sort of who we are as developers. Um, and I know you've been doing some thinking about this recently and you, you have some thoughts on this. Um, so how have you been sort of getting on with all of that? I feel conflicted at the moment. Um I feel, especially as we've started this podcast, in, in you know inevitably a podcast is kind of presenting me personally. Yeah. Um, albeit we're talking about work I do through my company, um, but it, in in this context, when I'm in you know, podcast mode, I think it makes sense to present myself as more as, as a person as opposed to a, you know a brand because it's, it's me just sat here talking into a mic. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Um, is when it comes to my apps that I get tempted to hide behind my company name. And the more I think about it, the more I think that's probably a deep-rooted confidence issue <laughs> <laughs> um, that I probably need to think about addressing in my head at some stage because it's easier for me to hide behind a brand name than it is to put my own name out there. Yeah. Because if somebody wants to, to yell at me, they're... You know, I can justify it by being, well, they're not really yelling at me because uh, they don't know who I am. They're just yelling at this brand name that is out there floating around on the internet, uh, yeah. which which can soften soften the blow, I, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I I, I, know, I never know when to sort of put myself out there more personally. Because um, I think about developers in this space that I know of, um, and I knew them personally before I knew their products. Yeah. Um, so I mean, maybe like Michael Armand's an example, David Smith. Um, then I, I came across them personally through their blogs and through their podcasts, and then I found out about their products. So to, in in some respects, they themselves are the brand. Yes. Which then throws another angle at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have, yeah. Do you do you have any kind of feelings on this at all? Because I know, I know you've it's yeah got your brand as well. It's something that I keep coming back to and keep thinking about. Um, and I've got a list of things that I probably should do, and it's always on that nice to have sort of pile. Um, so I don't actually sort of feel that I I present myself uh, personally as a brand as well as I possibly could. Um, you know, I've got a, a blog on, on my website, um, that essentially it gets updated once every, every few months. Um, and I had high intentions of sort of keeping that up to date in one way or another. Um, 
and you know my LinkedIn profile needs to be um, updated with my most recent uh, work. And you know it, it's just really hard to know exactly how I should be coming across at times because you've got I've got the um, the independent developer side of me where I've developed applications under the the, the RoboHeads uh, brand and name. Um, and then right now I'm working um, as a contractor doing iOS development as me. You know, that is not RoboHeads being brought in and employed there. That is David Wood. Um, and going forwards, obviously I'm seeking salaried work um, abroad in New Zealand, and that will be me personally. Um, that you know, that, that is the way that works. So, yeah, right now, my own outlook on some of my own personal brand, my business brand, and everything else—it's all over the place. Um, especially since I've uh, dissolved the limited company that RoboHeads was underneath, and I'm now a sole trader. I need to update a load of paperwork and this, that, and the other to do with that. Um, it's kind of been very hard mentally not to sort of just shift gear and go right. Everything is now just me personally and that probably makes a lot of sense um, but then there are other circumstances for example with GoVJ when I'm dealing with um, the sort of wider user base for that um, the sort of online based uh, video jockey community that uses applications like that um, again it's been quite handy at times to be to be more of a brand to be you know RoboHeads rather than David Wood um, because some of the interactions that you have with people in places like Facebook, um, which is where a lot of people in, in this sort of niche are, um, they can actually be, be quite personal at times. They can be quite, um, quite acerbic, um, if they don't like a particular feature of your app or, or whatever. And, um, yeah, I think I've dealt with that by sort of being, you know, either sort of saying, look, you know, either being completely personal and saying, Hey, I'm only one guy. You know, I've had, got, I've had people, um, go on at me on Facebook to make an Android version of the app. Um, and I've had to just say, look, it's a development team of one and that's not happening right now. Um, or flip it the other way. And it's been very much, you know, yep. Roboheads will look into that and keep it very, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it's definitely got its plus size, hasn't it? Being yeah, a brand. Yeah, it has. Um, um, so it, I've had I, people email support before, sort of yelling at me, almost as if you'd expect someone to yell at a large company because you don't yeah. expect the person on the phone or the email to take it personally because it's some big, huge, faceless corporation that's being yelled at, not the individual. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, the one I remember quite clearly, you could tell from the language in the email, it was quite clear that this person thought this was a like a really large team yeah um, you know please pass this on to your development team it's like well actually the development team is the same guy who's responding to your support email but I, yeah. <laughs> once i once i explained that i was just a one-man shop the uh the tone of the email you know changed you know dramatically instantly yeah um, you know way more understanding um you know and it kind of turned out nicely um i ended up having a good relationship with that uh person because it turned out not to be a bug of mine thankfully it was a misconfiguration with their Kodi installation in that particular instance yeah um yeah i think it ended uh you know keep in touch keep up the hard work um 
let me know if you want me to test anything out, that kind of thing. So it ended up being great. That's quite positive. Um, that, that's a good, good ending to that. It was a great ending. Um, and in the case of my latest app, Space Readers, which is um, an app to help kids learn to read when I try to reach out to educational bodies or you know larger companies that get involved in education it really does help to have your corporate hat that i can kind of put on and you know present myself as root digital this company as opposed to little old me sat in my bedroom (laughs) yeah making uh, an ios app that i've thought of um and it's kind of further complicated i suppose by my new uh web consultancy work that i'm doing yeah um because the the angle there is is that obviously it's all done through the company. None of it's kind of me personally sole trading. So again, when touting for business, it can be really good to use my company name. It makes yeah. me appear like a a larger, capable organisation. But then on the on the flip side of that, people that already know me can kind of see through it. Yeah. Uh, so it, I can sometimes feel like a little bit of a bit of a fraud maybe in in that sense um sort of trying to make out that you know i'm bigger than i really am but then the people that know me are like yeah we, we know it's just you kind of thing i've had a bit uh, of that as well here and there not not in any major sort of sense but you know oh it's it's yeah like you say oh i know it's you um and you're like well yeah i know but my company is called this and this is the way it operates and um obviously that's that's now sort of ended really now that I'm sort of sole trading. Um, but, but still trading as. Um, yes. Yeah, so I suppose you could still use the name for all intents and purposes in the same way to make yes. yourself, you know, appear like a brand. That's, I find that's the words, the I find the words we and I very weird at the moment, especially in the context of my web consultancy work in the, there's a couple of places on my website where I've used the word we. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my family members are like, but it's only you. I was like, yeah, I know, but I didn't know what. Yeah, you know, I found it really weird to say I when I'm presenting myself as a as a brand, mm. and then I start using the word I because then that makes it seem like one person all of a sudden, as opposed to a brand, which a brand you would consider to be more of a, a collection of of people, even if it's only like you know me as the brand, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's easier to present yourself as we as opposed to I, um, and I'm finding that really weird at the moment, especially when I'm writing proposals, where you might say, "and we will do X," because it's like if the, if it's for a person who you know already knows me, they're like, "Why are you saying we?" Because I know it's just you. But then if I say I, that might make me appear sort of in a, in a weaker position, especially if it's for someone that doesn't already know me. Yeah. If I'm going after a, like a new client that's come on board and I put the word I in a in a quote, it might seem like, huh, we thought we were dealing with a brand, but actually they're using the word I, which implies it's just one person. Yeah. Um, almost like blowing my cover. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying, <laughs> trying to avoid sentences and phrases that might encourage the use of the word we or I at all times at the moment. <laughs> that's a very hard line to uh, to stick to as well. Um, yeah, because these are supporting words, and all, our language is is framed in kind of one one or the other for for a lot of this stuff. Um, I think there's probably something to be said for 
in terms of your root digital business, the web consultancy, there's definitely something to be said there for sort of maintaining the the royal we, you know, yes. kind of keeping things in that, that tone of voice. Because also, um, and this calls back to, to conversations we've had in previous episodes where we've talked about um, the type of market that you're pitching to, um, which I think I would sum up as you're, you're kind of going for um, – sort of small to medium enterprises who want a quality product putting together and who aren't necessarily shopping around based on price. Yeah. Um, and I would say for, for those types of customers, um, they're probably not going to want to deal with, with somebody who comes across as, as a one man band, um, as yep. much as they will with, with, um, somebody who comes across as, an agency that can support them and support their needs, which, you know, is, is the type of service that you're providing, but obviously it's a team of one, um, with, with far less potentially, I guess, far less people, um, booked out in terms of the time that you're, you're putting to it, you know, perhaps less, less customers through the door in any one go than, than a bigger, big agency. Exactly. Yeah. But the service still being of that sort of level and, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe things really take off and you do end up hiring people in. And that is where this, this goes, you know, um, and I feel justified using the word we, <laughs> yeah, but I think you've got to do it from the outset. And I think that has to be the image that, that root digital presents, um, for everything other that you do. Um, I think the personal is probably a, a good approach. I think so. Now, you know, I think, this podcast was quite a large part of that as well. And that I wanted to try and get my personal voice out there. Yeah. Um, you know, not just to promote my apps. I wanted to just kind of be part more, an active part of the iOS dev community. Um, and that has to happen on a personal level. I think there's, yeah. there's no way, absolutely no way I could appear as a, a like a, a brand and expect to be taken seriously as, as a podcaster. <laughs> I'm not sure uh, that, um, I'm not sure I could handle talking to you and calling you rude digital on this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be totally out of the question. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think just, uh, I, I want to maybe explore blogging a bit as well next. And again, maybe take that down the more personal route. Um, and it'd be nice if I could expose myself personally and then sort of organically people can find out more about what I do, whether it be web consultancy, app development, whatever, um, sort of via initially finding me personally that 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 would be the ideal okay that just about wraps up this episode if you've enjoyed the show we would love for you to give us a review on itunes or if you're an overcast user um, it'd be great if you could recommend us by hitting the star button also we mentioned this last week uh, we now have our very own slack that we'd like to invite you to join um, our hope is that it can be a really cool place for developers to come and hang out and get to know each other uh, if you'd like to join, there's instructions in the show notes or send us a message on our Twitter account. Uh, that's at WFR Podcast. Uh, so, Dave, before we go, where can people find you online? You can find me at DaveWood.uk. Um, you can find my applications at RoboHeads. That's RoboHeads with the Z.com. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads, again, with the Z. Um, how about you, Dave? Uh, you can find my app for remote controlling code with your iPhone at armchair-remote.com and my latest app uh, to help kids learn to read 
is at spacereaders.com. And finally, <laughs> my new web consulting business is at root-digital.com, and I am on Twitter at underscore Dave Knott. Great talking to you, Dave. Catch you next week. Catch you later. And Dave, yeah. um, it actually will be May the 4th, won't it, on Thursday? Oh, amazing, yeah. And then we've got the Revenge of the 5th on Friday. <laughs>